presented by Syntax Advisors. Welcome to ETF TV. I'm Deborah Furr. Today we're at the Exchange event in Florida, and we're going to be discussing the FINRA Rule 2208, which is defining how to regulate complex products. I'm joined by Stacy Fuller and Dave Nadek. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So Dave, what types of ETFs, ETNs, mutual funds are considered complex under this document? Well, unfortunately, I can't give you a super clear answer because they've left it very vague and I suspect intentionally. If you chase all of the footnotes that they put in here on things that they've referenced in the past, it pretty much looks like anything that is not pure beta exposure to a clean underlying asset could probably get caught in. Anything that's using derivatives certainly would get caught under the mix. Honestly, even funds like target date funds have historically been called complicated by FINRA. So if you really chase it all the way down, once you get past really vanilla equity, vanilla bond exposure, I suspect you could get scooped up under this definition of complex. Some products have been around since indeed the time of the 1940 Act. Some of them are actually codified in the 1940 Act. Closed-in funds comes to mind. It's hard to think of something sort of more plain vanilla than something Congress in 1940 decided was appropriate for investors. This really would reach potentially any mutual fund that uses derivatives for hedging. Any mutual fund that has what in my trade is called a tax blocker, but it's just a wholly owned subsidiary through which the fund holds investments to make it tax efficient. These are standard structures and have been for decades. And so I think folks really want to pay attention to the fact that they might have some products unexpectedly swept in here. And what might investors need to do in the future to purchase these products? It's hard to tell what exactly FINRA is thinking of doing here. On the one hand, they are suggesting that potentially additional disclosures could suffice, point of sale disclosures or investor attestations to get investors to say when they're purchasing the product, yes, I understand this product. Yes, I understand what I'm doing. Those types of gates actually exist today and are arguably working well. More concerningly, they also suggest that they might revise the securities trading framework to impose an options-like framework on just regular investors who want to just trade, as Dave was saying, complex products. And that would require a lot more work by investors and brokers up front at the time of account opening. The other thing they're suggesting is a possibility would be to put investors through a test to sort of give them an exam to see if they really understand the complex product they're planning to invest in. Dave, why is this happening now? We're obviously in the middle of what I would call a bit of a regulatory renaissance, although that's probably too positive a spin on it. The SEC is clearly in a sweep and destroy mode on a lot of interesting things going on, frankly, in innovation in investment management. I think this is part and parcel of that. I actually think one of the biggest problems with this is that this is not coming from the SEC. I'm quite concerned that FINRA would be put in the position of being this arbiter of what is a complex product, a non-complex product. That has historically always been something the SEC has handled, or in some cases, the CFTC. So FINRA stepping into that position, I find deeply concerning. I think it's also a reaction 
to a legitimate rise of retail interest in investing. I think that's a great thing. I love that we have a new renaissance of retail investing, but because we've had sort of some meme stock hysteria and folks looking at leverage and the ability to trade by phones, I think there's a lot of concern that retail investors aren't getting enough education. Taking the step to actually testing investors feels like a bridge way too far to me though. Isn't this a bit unusual because usually the U.S. works on a disclosure regime? It is, I think, because one of the points made was, you know, a complex product is a product that might behave in a way that the investor doesn't expect. And in the U.S., you know, our federal securities law regime has relied for 90 years on disclosure to set investor expectations. In suggesting something more might be required, FINRA seems to really sort of be moving away from the notion that disclosure can be the core of effective regulation. And I think that's a seminal signal. The other thing I think is unusual here is FINRA has historically really limited its regulation, I guess is the right word, of members to their interactions with investors. So when broker-dealers make recommendations to investors, making sure those are suitable and in the best interest of the client, this type of regulation, it would really be much more akin to FINRA regulating an investor's sort of conduct with respect to itself, almost suggesting that investors can't make good decisions on their own and, you know, they need these extra protection of FINRA. So I think that is pretty new. What are the next steps after the consultation period ends on May 9th? Well, because this is FINRA, it's a little bit less clear than it would be in something that's like more of a legislative process. FINRA, because it's effectively an SRO, can kind of do whatever it wants. So it's not out of the question that they could, for instance, collect a bunch of comments by May 9th, turn around on June 15th and propose a new set of regulations that all FINRA members would have to abide by, and that would sort of be it. Now, I think that that's probably a little bit fear-mongering. Most of the regulator folks that I've actually worked with at FINRA are relatively rational people, so I suspect they will actually take in the comments from industry and investors and all sorts of related parties, and I suspect what they're going to hear is a lot of, whoa, 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 whoa. So I hope that what we actually get is perhaps a round of proposals that we can then comment on. What we saw from them was not a proposal. What we saw from them was truly spaghetti up against the wall to try to address this issue. I think it's really important that folks in this industry and individual investors too, actually put those comment letters in. Even if you simply say, hey, look, I'm an individual investor. I think I know what I'm doing. I really don't need a nanny to tell me whether or not I'm good enough at it. I certainly don't want to take your darn test. So I think it's really important that we sort of mobilize investors and industry to respond to this however you want to respond to it, but recognize this is pretty intrusive. Who can and how should investors and others respond? Definitely prepare a comment letter and definitely get it in by May 9th. I think investor comment letters are so important. Investors who invest in closed-end funds, investors who invest in index-based ETFs that track smart beta indexes. If you're an investor in those, those are important comments. Industry sponsors looking at the footnotes, as Dave was saying, of the releases to see, oh, wow, you know, actually, you know, my closed in fund, my target date fund of all things would potentially be swept up. So the best thing to do is to file a comment letter to a file that's available on Finner's website. 
Another product that's being captured here is ESG ETFs, which are popular with many investors around the world. So I think anyone who's using those products should consider responding to FINRA. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Syntex Advisors, for being the sponsor of the show. If you're interested in watching further episodes, please go to etftv.net. ETF TV News does not provide investment advice nor recommend products.